In here, uh, after three weeks of sort of one-off messages, we're beginning a new series on the one another commands found uh, in in the New Testament. Uh, There are 59 times in the New Testament that believers are told specifically how to treat one another, and we're going to look at, at 10 of those instances. They're not really 59 different commands. Some of them are, are repeats, but some of you, if you've been around here uh, for a while, may remember that we looked at the one another commands uh, four years ago, and so you might be asking, why are we doing this again? Um, there's, there's a story about a, a, a new pastor who preached a dynamic sermon on John 15, 12, one Sunday, and as the congregation members were, you know, filing out of the church after the service, uh, they, were, they were just going on and on about what an amazing, powerful message he had given. Uh, the next week, they were a little bit surprised when he announced that his text was the same as the week before. Uh, but still, they were, they were moved by the, the depth of his teaching, what he drew out of that passage, and, and commented again what a powerful message it was. But when the pastor preached uh, uh, a third, fourth, and then fifth time on that very same verse, someone finally worked up the nerve to confront him on it and said, how long are you going to preach that same verse to us? And he assured them that as soon as they started living out this sermon, he would preach his next sermon. And all the people said, ouch. Right? Uh, it strikes me that this is a series that we may need to revisit uh, periodically to be reminded of how God expects us to engage with one another Um, And part of the reason I say that is uh, just this week, which is, of course, I had already planned this series, but this week I've had three conversations uh, with people who have been so burned by people in the church that they're not sure they're willing to give church another try. Um, God knows, and so has written it down, that we need a better way of behaving with one another than what the world offers. Uh, as you can see, I'm calling this series Life Together. Uh, that is, uh, I'm borrowing that from a Dietrich Bonhoeffer book uh, by that title that's, that's based on the one another commands. Uh, Bonhoeffer believed, as I do, that spiritual formation cannot be fully realized in isolation. Um, being a hermit out in the desert is, is not going to get you there because we were made for community. Uh, even those of us who are wired more as introverts, as, as I am, uh, who recharge by being alone, we have to have others in our lives. And so it's in Christian community that we, we look across the table or across the room and we see the Imago Dei, the image of God, uh, stamped in our brothers and sisters. It's in Christian community that we are conformed, shaped into the Imago Christi, the image of Christ. And all of this uh, we do in Christian community for the Gloria Day, the glory of God as, as we relate to one another as he intended people to. 
Sometimes I hear people say something like, my church is at the beach, or my church is in the woods, or the mountains, or something like that. Uh, And I just want to say they're wrong. Uh, I've had some wonderful worship experiences out uh, in the the wilderness, but that's not church. Um, Church is not a building that we go to, uh, or a video we watch. Uh, It's not just to allow us to hear some music in a, in a sermon. Church is a community of people who have entered into a covenant relationship um, with one another to do life together. And here's the thing. Sometimes we're doing that with people we don't especially like. <laughs> right? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. The Apostle Paul uh, argued in his letter to the Ephesians that Christ has destroyed old animosities that existed uh, between male and female, citizen and barbarian, slave and free, and especially Jew and Gentile. I wonder this morning, what are the old animosities that exist between people uh, today? And if he were writing today, what would Paul say to us about some of those. So this is, this is why how we do this life together is so important. It's, it's no longer about me and what I like or what I want. Uh, it's not really even about what we want or we like. It's about what Jesus wants for his church. And what Jesus wants for his church is the same thing that what the kingdom of God is like. People in right relationship with God and therefore in right relationship with one another. And when that happens, this is all leading up to the message, this is all intro, but when that happens, the Bible says that the world will look on with amazement. Look at how they love one another. Um, they They will know that we are Christians by the way We interact with each other. And so, instead of tearing each other down, we're going to encourage one another. Uh, Instead of hiding our faults from one another and pretending we've got it all together, pretending we're better than we really are, we're going to confess our sins to one another. Instead of holding grudges, we're going to forgive one another. We're going to serve, be subject to one another. We're going to pray for one another. And in this morning's text, we're going to learn that we have to love one another. Uh, To learn that, we're going to be looking in our Bibles uh, together at what what God has to say about this. And as we do, I'll have the verses uh, up on the screen. You can follow along that way. But if you'd like to follow along in a paper Bible uh, and you don't have one, our ushers are coming down the aisle just now. And if you'll just signal them somehow, they'd be happy um, to put a Bible in your hand. Um, this, this command, this one another command uh, to love one another is really, we, we see it throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament. And one of the most concise uh, occurrences of that command is in John fifteen twelve, where Jesus says, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. By the way, this is the verse that the pastor I talked about preached until the congregation started doing it. Um, In his 
first epistle, the Apostle John took the opportunity to unpack that command a little bit more. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4 this morning. Uh, 1 John 4 is on page 986 of the Bibles that the ushers just handed out. And we're going to begin at verse 7. 1 John 4, beginning at verse 7. John says, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The person who does not love does not know God because God is love. By this, the love of God is revealed among us that God has sent his one and only son into the world so that we may live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, then we must also love one another. No one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God resides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we reside in God and he in us, in that he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God resides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has in us. God is love, and the one who resides in love resides in God and God resides in him. By this, love is perfected within us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment, because just as Jesus is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears punishment has not been perfected in love. We love because he loved us first. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother, he's a liar. Because the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And the commandment we have from him is this, that the one who loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Lord, we confess uh, that we need help in this area, all of us. Um, Some of us are better at it than others, but we all need to be better than we are. And so we ask that you would um, speak to us in a way that each of us individually can understand this morning. Uh, I pray that you would help me as I try to uh, communicate this incredible truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, these words that I uh, just read, uh, penned by by John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I think are are powerful and remarkable. Uh, Powerful because they suggest that love uh, is God's plan A, Uh, for saving the world. Uh, And someone once said, that's his plan A, and he doesn't have a plan B. There's not a plan B. This is it. 
Love is, is his plan. So they're powerful words for that reason. They're remarkable words, I think, because the man who wrote them was not a person who was naturally predisposed to loving actions toward others. Uh, John and his brother James were nicknamed by Jesus the Sons of Thunder. I know we have a, a camp called by that name, but sometimes I wonder why, because I don't think Jesus meant it as a compliment when he called them that. Uh, these two brothers, uh, one time when they got offended by someone, they asked Jesus if they could call down fire from heaven on that person. Uh, James and John were ladder climbers. They, they had no problem pushing the other disciples aside uh, as, they, as they vied for the, the places of honor on Jesus' right and left when he took his throne in the new kingdom. But somehow, later in life, when, when John is reflecting upon Jesus and his ministry, he starts referring to himself as the one that Jesus loved. And I don't think he meant to communicate that Jesus loved him more than the others. I think he meant to communicate that he never wanted to forget how amazing God's love in Christ Jesus was. I think that's why he said in 1 John 3, 1, how great or, or awesome or amazing is the love that the Father has lavished on us. We just sang that. Great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. John was amazed by this. John underscores the word love 109 times in his various writings. Um, he was so transformed by the love of God that it became one of his primary themes in, in all of his writing. And so we need to ask, what is it that John wants us to understand uh, about love in these 15 verses uh, that I read. And I, and I think there are a few things that, that we can, they, they're just right there and they kind of jump out at you, uh, when you when you read it. The first is something we see at the end of verse 8 and we see it again in verse 16. John says, God is love. God is love. Um, he doesn't say God is loving, which he is. Uh, he says something much more profound even than that. God is love. And this is the foundation uh, of everything John says about love in those 109 times that he writes about it. Love is who God is. From eternity past out into eternity future, God is love. It is his essence you take this away and you no longer have God. That's, that's how core this is. And so when we talk about uh, love as an attribute of God, we're, we're talking about more than just uh, God uh, acting in loving ways. We're, we're getting down to the, the very core of what makes God, God. So that's the first thing. The second thing is uh, that, that God is the one then that gets to define what love is. Since God is love, in his essence, love, God defines what love is. I was thinking, you know, if you, if you, were, to, if you were an alien visiting 
our planet, and, and your assignment was to discover what humans mean by the word love, you'd go back to your spaceship sort of scratching your head or whatever it is you had up here. Um, you'd be completely confused. Because, I mean, we love everything, right? We love our, our cars. We love that movie. We love that flavor of ice cream. I saw Salt and Straw just introduced a new chocolate potato salad ice cream. What is wrong with these people? Ugh. I love my favorite songs, right? I love my dog. Oh, and I love my wife. And I love God. We love everything. What do we mean? Uh, The dictionary defines love this way. Uh, First, as an intense feeling of deep affection, a deep romantic or sexual attachment to someone... Two, a great interest or pleasure in something. Three, in tennis, a score of nil. Well, that's helpful, right? I'm pretty sure this is not what the Bible is talking about when it talks about love. So if we're to understand God's loving plan to save the world, we're going to need more than that as a definition. So how does the Bible define love? Uh, Look with me at verses 9 and 10, because it's right here. By this, the love of God is revealed among us, that God has sent his one and only Son into the world, that we may live through him. This is love. What is love? This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The greatest expression of love that has ever been or will ever be is that God sent his son to atone for our sins. John was with Jesus in the upper room on that night that Jesus ate his last meal with his friends. And John heard him say, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. I'm pretty sure John had no idea what Jesus really meant by those words on that night or at that meal anyway. But I imagine that, that now as he's writing this and he's, he's looking back, the echoes of Jesus' words are, are ringing in his ears. You know, John was the only male disciple. There were women at the cross, but John was the only male disciple there. He saw with his own eyes the extent of Jesus' love. And as much as John loved Jesus, he knew that his love for Jesus was only a shadow of what true love is, of, of what the love that Jesus showed him. Um, and so John says true love is that God wanted restored relationship with us and was willing to die in our place in order to accomplish that. That's how the Bible defines love. Uh, One more thing I think that John wants us to understand in these verses, and and this is where we come to the one another command. John wants us to understand that God expects us to love like he does. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, then we must also love one another. No one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God resides in us and his love is perfected in us. 
Uh, It seems that John's argument in verse 11 is that since God has loved us uh, like, like he has, we have to love one another. In John's mind, it's not an option. In verse 12, he says this is how people will actually see God. When we love one another, as his love is perfected in us, they actually get a glimpse of God. Uh, At the beginning of this section in verse 7, John says it another way. He says, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The person who does not love does not know God because God is love. The the, the Greek underneath John's opening words here literally says, those who are loved or you who are loved, let us love. You who have been loved by God, let us love. Uh, And then he suggests that those who are born of God's love uh, have no choice. Uh, but to love. I think basically what John is saying here is that there's a family resemblance that's inescapable. I don't know about all of you. Uh, have any of you had that sort of unnerving experience when you speak and you hear your parent's voice coming out of your mouth? It's, it's, it's like, What? And I find as I get older, it's happening more and more that I'm sounding more and more like my dad, you know? It's, it's weird. It's creepy. Not, not sorry, dad. I, I, it's just, how did that happen, right? Uh, when, when we were young marrieds, um, I'll never forget this. One, one day my dad called, Becky, this is before the days of caller ID and all of that, right? He called Becky, uh, and, and she said, hi, honey. <laughs> it was an awkward uh, moment. Um, after that, she, um, she learned to, to pause before she really responded to make sure who it was uh, before she said anything. I, my point is this, though, um, and I think it's John's point. People who are born, born of a loving father act like that loving father. John is saying that, that, that um, love is, is so inherent in our spiritual DNA, the, the spiritual DNA of someone born of God, that he's able to say, if, if then a person doesn't love, they're not born of God. They don't have that DNA. In verses 13 to 18, John uses language that, that sounds a lot like Jesus' words in John 15. We were in John 15 back in May. Uh, Josh Jacobson brought that message. And uh, in John 15, uh, Jesus um, talks about the vine and the branches. You remember? Uh, and one of his repeated themes there is that we are to abide in him Uh, remain in him, or as John says here in verse 13 and 15 and 16, reside in him. It's the same Greek word in John 15 and here in 1 John 4. 
John uses that word 10 times here in 1 John 4 in, in just six verses. Sometimes I think people get off track in John 15 thinking that the command is to bear fruit. Jesus talks about bearing fruit, but he never commands that. What he does command is to abide, remain, reside in the vine. He's responsible to cause the fruit to grow. We're responsible to abide or reside. And and there in John 15, Jesus tells us how to do that. So, oh, great. Uh, You know, it's it's not this, uh, how are we supposed to do that? Jesus Jesus tells us. Uh, Verse 10 of John 15, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will remain or reside in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain or reside in his love. So we got to keep his commands, right? Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So so the way we abide or remain or reside in the vine is by doing what he commands. And finally, down in verse 17 of John 15, Jesus tells us what the command is. This is what I command you. And I imagine the disciples going, finally, here it comes. What is it? Love one another. You want to stay attached to the vine? Love one another. You want to be called a friend of Jesus? Love one another. You want to be someone who is born of God? In modern language, we would say a Christian. Love one another. I have uh, two friends that I think of whenever I read this passage, um, and, and I've told you about them before. Uh, Dave and, and John had, had been meeting together for coffee every, every couple of months for, for years. And one day, uh, John noticed that Dave didn't look so good. Uh, he, he, looked, he looked tired. And so John asked him if he was feeling Okay, and Dave explained to him that he had a kidney disease that he had never told John about because, well, he didn't want to complain. Uh, Dave was a, was a guy who really, really wanted to follow Jesus and, and exhibit the joy of the Lord. Uh, but he explained that, that, that his kidney function was down to 20%, and he was probably going to have to go on dialysis. And John said to Dave, man, I'm sorry, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you every day. And so John went home kind of heavy-hearted for his friend and began to pray for him. And the next day, uh, John was reading in his Bible and he he came to Jesus' words about there being no greater love than laying down your life. And then he read where Jesus said, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And John couldn't get the words out of his head and began to wonder if, if maybe Jesus wanted him to give a kidney, one of his kidneys, to Dave. And, and there was a part of him that didn't think it would really happen because there's so many hoops you've got to jump through and qualify for. And his wife really didn't want him to do it. But John kept being a match at every point along the way, and he ended up giving a kidney uh, to Dave. 
And he did it not because he was just a nice guy. He did it because he was convicted about Jesus' words uh, to love. And he realized that love is an action word, or as Bob Goff says in his book, love does, right? I'm always reminded of that, that story, and it's an amazing story, and, and you all probably know of stories of amazing love that, is, that has been um, shown uh, uh, among friends. But uh, as amazing as it is, uh, Jesus ratchets love up another notch from, from this story because John and Dave uh, had been friends for years. Um, Jesus said in Luke 6 that if you only love those who love you, what's the big deal? <laughs> no biggie, right? Even the wicked do that, he said. If you only do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that? Oh. In Matthew 5, in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, he says, You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may prove to be children of your Father in heaven. Got any enemies? I'll let you off the hook. I do. Maybe I made it a little bit safer to say, yeah. What does Jesus say we're supposed to do with those enemies? Love them. Because this is, in fact, how God loved us. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, while we hated God, he loved us and gave himself for us. Uh, and in this text, just like in 1 John 4, 7, Jesus says we prove that we are God's children by loving others, especially our enemies. By doing this, we prove that we're born of God. Uh, to, to wrap up here, uh, Scott McKnight uh, suggests that the parable of the Good Samaritan, you, most of you are probably familiar with that story, Uh, He believes what it teaches us is that we are to love our enemies into neighbors. We are to love our enemies into friends. And he outlines four steps to doing this. And I'll just warn you, uh, what he proposes is no sappy, feel-good, kumbaya way of loving. Um. And I got to tell you, there are days I don't want to do it. I don't want to. But the Bible says that if I don't, I don't know God. So when we look at how God has loved us, uh, which is how Jesus says we're to love one another, we see four elements. The first element of loving one another, like God calls us to, is to understand that love starts with a desire for Christ-likeness, both in yourself and in your brother or sister. In other words, if if Christ-likeness in yourself and your brother or sister is not your goal, what you're doing is not love. That has to be the goal. If your desire is to conform your brother or sister into your image, right, 
into your way of thinking, you are never going to be able to love them as Jesus tells us to. But if your desire for Christ-likeness in yourself and seeing your uh, brother or sister transformed into the Imago Christi, the, the image of Christ, well, now you're on the right path. Okay? So you have, to, you have to ask yourself that question. Am I willing actually to, to see the image of Christ further developed in me? And is that what I really want in that other person? Do I want to see the image of Christ formed in them? Uh, the second element of loving like God calls us to love is understanding that love is a covenant. McKnight says it's a, it's a rugged commitment to another person. Uh, Lucas showed us a picture of this when he spoke on God's Hesed love a couple of weeks ago. Are you willing to make a rugged commitment even to your enemy for the sake of their Christ-likeness? Hard question. But if, but if not, I'm going to say again, it's probably not love that you're really after. Third element of loving like God calls us to love is understanding that love means being for that person, not against that person. Uh, this can be a little tricky because obviously we are not to be for evil behavior. Uh, there's, there's a time and a place to confront that. Jesus was clearly against the forces of evil that, that held people in, in sin's chains. But he was for the people who were being destroyed by those evil forces. Do you understand? There's, there's a difference, right? Uh, McKnight says this is the principle of advocacy, which is different than tolerance. That the principle is that the other person knows that you're in their corner. Does your enemy know that you're in their corner? What do we mean by that? Again, that you really what you want is to see Christ-likeness formed in them. And then the last element of loving like God calls us to love is understanding that love requires prayer. A lot of prayer. Matthew 5, 44 calls us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. I'll tell you, my, my years of pastoral ministry have taught me that sometimes uh, our greatest enemies seem to be inside the church, not just outside. Um, some of the most hateful, divisive attacks on the church or its people have come from members of a church. It's painful. It's, it's wrong. Um, I think it's an embarrassment to Christ. But my years of pastoral ministry have also taught me that the best thing I can do for that person is to pray for that person. And that takes an act of the will because a lot of times I don't want to. Right? I don't want to pray for them. Something happens when I do because as I pray for that person, God can begin to soften my own heart toward them and their heart toward me. Now, in many cases, that person that I was praying for chose to leave the church. And if I'm honest, probably both of us were glad for it. Right? It was easier. 
there have also been some beautiful gospel-centered transformations where, where God has worked in the life of my enemy and in my own life. And somewhere down the road, he has brought us together as friends. And when that happens, it's an amazing testimony. I mean, I've had the conversation with people that said, I thought you guys hated each other. Yeah, we, we, we kind of did. <laughs> what, what happened? I can only say it's, it's because of the gospel that was at work in me and my brother. I don't have another explanation for it. I think this is the kind of love that Jesus says will let the world know we're his disciples. Love one another as I have loved you. Let's pray. I'm going to use words from from St. Francis, beautiful words, I think, and I invite you to pray with me silently as I speak these words. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying to self that we are born to eternal life. So Lord, build us into the community of faith that you want us to be. May we love one another well, not because we all think alike, not because we have a natural affinity for each other, but because we have been born of God, the God of love, who calls us to love as we have been loved. And may the world look on in amazement, saying, look how they love one another. Do it, Lord, for your glory, we pray. Amen.